You're listening to DevOps and Docker Talk, and I'm your host, Brett Fisher. I'm a DevOps dude, a course creator, and an open source maintainer in the world of container and cloud native DevOps. These episodes are edited down, audio-only versions of my YouTube live show that you can join every Thursday at brett.live. This podcast is made possible by my Patreon members. I'd like to thank all of you patrons for your continued support. It means a lot. Your podcast player should have the show notes for this episode, including links to the original show on YouTube, topics or tools we might discuss, how to support this show with Patreon, and links to get discount coupons on all my courses. You can always get those notes and links at brettfisher.com. In this episode, we're talking about improving your Kubernetes alerting on Prometheus with the co-founder of Robusta, Natan Yellen. To start, this conversation assumes you're using Kubernetes and you're monitoring it with Prometheus. The Prometheus project comes with Alert Manager, a separate pod in the Prometheus solution that manages how you expect Prometheus to notify humans when there's an issue. As Natan gets into it, Alert Manager and Kubernetes have a very specific way of describing events in your clusters, and they aren't always helpful in diagnosing the cause of the event. Often we're left to Googling, using Stack Overflow, and trying to discern what the error even means coming out of Kubernetes. That's where Robusta comes in, acting as a proxy between Alert Manager and your chosen notification platform, be it Slack, PagerDuty, OpsGenie, or just plain email. Whatever Alert Manager is sending to, it seems that Robusta will support. I'd maybe classify Robusta as a Prometheus alert enhancer, where it can pull in better error messaging, add Prometheus graphs to the alerting, or even container logs that it can store in that alert it sends you. Now, there's a lot of open source here, and we talk about how you can deploy Robusta in your clusters from their GitHub repo and their command line tool. Natan also details some of the enhancements in their cloud offering that you can layer on top of that, which has a generous free tier. Overall, I think Robusta is a great example of a small tool solving a specific problem that a lot of us have in a novel way with an easy to use CLI and configuration. You can fit it into any Kubernetes cluster where you're using Prometheus today. At the end of the show, we actually get into some pod CPU reservation and limit opinions, and we go back and forth on what we think the best practice there is. And Natan definitely has a well thought out argument for why you just never want to limit CPUs. So please enjoy my chat with Natan Yellen of Robusta. Hello, welcome to my show. Talking about cloud native, Docker, Kubernetes, all the buzzwords, the clouds, all the things. DevOps, that's why you're here. So this week we're going to talk about Prometheus. I'm excited to get to our guest and talk about some new projects and, and technology that I haven't seen yet. Again, I kind of come at this a lot of times like you. I'm a little bit new, so I'm talking to people that are the experts that are making products, making these projects and a lot of the CNCF stuff and that ecosystem. Let's get to it. On the show today, I'm excited all the way from the other side of the pond, from the area of Tel Aviv, we've got Natan Yellen of Robusta. Welcome to the show. We've been having a great chat before the show, and of course, you all didn't know this. We typically take weeks or months to plan this stuff out, get people on the show. And when I was starting to look at Robusta, it was an interesting idea. So I would love, I'm good looking forward to this conversation because alert fatigue for me is a, a sore spot. It's a sensitive area. I get, I have emotional outbursts about 
alert fatigue because all of us have been in that situation where we've deployed a monitoring tool and then the first thing that happens is we get either no alerts or way too many alerts and that is an art i feel like it's almost like a ninja art to be able to hone your alerting down to one make sense of it and two to only get the alerts that matter so we're definitely going to talk about that today natan why don't you tell us first about how did you, you are a co-founder right how did you come up with the idea for robusta so I was at another startup doing Kubernetes security. And in the security world, then you never just send someone like a flood of dogs or alerts. It's always like if you look at Snicker container scanning. I mean, maybe I guess there are too many alerts there, more than people like. But even if you look at there, then like the good tools will tell you, okay, here are the vulnerabilities in your containers. And here's where these vulnerabilities were introduced, the priority of them. And here's what you need to do in order to go and fix it. And they can go and automatically open a PR to fix your Docker container or to update some outdated dependency. So we were working on software in the security world and making this really simple. And then we'd come back to our own production environments at the end of the day, running on Kubernetes. Like a new customer would come on, we'd have to scale stuff up rapidly. And then everything would start to crash and we'd have this channel full of different alerts and we'd have to go over those and try and prioritize them and make sense of that. And what we ultimately realized is that we had all the dashboards, we had all the data, and our number one tool for solving these alerts was not Grafana and Prometheus or Elasticsearch or any of the many tools we had. The number one tool was Google and Stack Overflow. <laughs> right. That's and we started um, thinking, like, yeah. can, we, can we solve that? Can we take what a human would do to investigate different things? And can we translate some of that to automatically? So like, some of the examples are stupid, but... Or trivial, like a pod crashed, but I don't want to get an alert, just a pod crashed. Like, tell me why it crashed. Show me the logs. Let me get a Slack message that's actually actionable that I can actually like triage based on what's there in Slack. And then right. some of it is more complicated, but that's the gist of it. Yeah. I mean, obviously, there are lots of complexities when it comes to what was wrong. What is wrong? Is it my app? Is it the cluster? Is it the network? Is it, you know, is it, is it my monitoring solution, the broken thing? And then it's actually reporting false information. There, there's a, a lot going on there. But I do feel like a lot of times, especially when we're getting started with clusters and monitoring, and for those that are listening, like a lot of you are maybe in the case where you're investigating a lot of these options now, a lot of times I find that especially in my consulting, that these are common things like image pull backoffs, or, you know, I'm not right-sizing my cluster or some of the examples that you gave where there are common recurring things like they're saying that Google and Stack Overflow have a thousand answers for because everyone's hit them. And we probably could guess about a little bit more intelligence. So I think you're onto something here because anything that helps me fix things faster and not have to spend five windows open with five different consoles in order to even understand what the error was about. Like that's a win, I think, for everyone. It's kind of a one of those things we all kind of think, shouldn't that be built in out of the box? <laughs> but not always. I should give a disclaimer, right? Like solving the general problem in every single case, you will never be able to do all of it, right? It's an 80-20 thing, right? So I can design a system, and especially using open source community knowledge, where you can give most people almost all the time and stuff they need and then there always will be edge cases in cases where you fall back to the old method of investigation. Like we're, we don't have the general purpose AI yet that can do everything, but we can get you most of the way there so you can focus on the stuff that's interesting. So th that's our goal and to like slowly carve out over time more and more slices of that where we can get you closer and closer for different things. Because no one yeah. likes doing it. Like no one 
wakes up in the morning and says, I want to go and define all the others there. I want to go through and prioritize these others. It's the area that we all have to do. We all feel guilty if we don't do a good job at it, but most people don't want to spend a lot of time actively on that. And it's often not, I find that it's people doing it that wasn't really, it's not their main job. It's not the thing that they were hired to do, but they're forced to get into this stuff because either they didn't know it was a problem they needed to solve, or they just don't have any dedicated people because they're a smaller team and they don't have a someone who's constantly refining their alerting system or constantly modifying dashboards on their behalf. So we're often all saddled with that responsibility of making these systems better. But I also find that a lot of times, if we're just using the native open source tools, so we're talking about Prometheus today, a lot of times I don't think we realize the gaps in that tooling until we have the problems that you had that discuss, that we sort of had this aha moment of, I don't have the tools I need to make this easy or at least easier. It's, this is a painful process. I should make it better, but then you've got to spend a lot of time and we don't always have that. So any tools that make it easier to manage our existing infrastructure, I think is a win. So on Robusta, we're talking about Prometheus, right? This is a Prometheus focused solution. Yeah. So in the broad vision for what we do, it's not just Prometheus, but if you look at what we actually do today and where most people use us, then what we do is we give you a full observability platform built on top of Prometheus. So Prometheus is an excellent time series database. It like graphs time series over time, stores that. You can then do alerts based on that time series. And then at the end of the day, the output is an alert that says like something happened here. But that's not yet observability. You're getting a push notification about a problem. You need to now understand why that problem happens. And then you're going to go and you're going to open up Lens, you're going to open up Elasticsearch, you're going to open up Grafana, you're going to open up your terminal and run KubeCattle, and you're going to open up Google and Stack Overflow. And what we're doing is we're giving you, with the SaaS platform, a single pane of glass that does all of that. And with the open source offering that it's built on, then we're giving you like the part that pulls the pieces together. So you know, they're fired. Now, why did it fire and what does it mean how they get back to working? My understanding here is that you're building on top of an open source tooling that you have? Yes, that's correct. So I'll take you through it. I'll start with what exists today if you're not using Robusta, and then I'll add on what Robusta would give you. And I'm only going to speak about the open source parts until I explicitly say that I'm speaking also about the SaaS platform. If you're just using Prometheus, then what you've done is you've set up alerts. So what we do with Robusta is we're taking the alerts that come from Prometheus, go to Alert Manager, and instead of sending that directly to Stack or MS Teams or Ops Genie or PagerDuty, you're sending that to Robusta. This is an open source component running inside your cluster. And this proxies the alert while adding on extra data and context. And then right here in Stack, I can go and I can tag the developer and I can tag the right developer and say, oh, go look at this. And I've handed off the issue from me, the infrastructure team, um, to the developer without having to open up any other system. I'm still just here in Stack. And the developer, if he doesn't know how to actually go into Kubernetes or to fetch the logs or look at it, it doesn't matter. All the data is right here in Slack. Yeah. When you say I got to dive into this for the examples of pre-Robusta, so if I'm just using the operator Prometheus, what you're really saying is I need some cube control. I need some log commands. I need to describe. I need to dig into the cluster as well as the application logs. I'm probably going to have to Google the error because... It maybe isn't as obvious, even though you might see the events in Kubernetes, it's not going to be as obvious as something else. And so you're really talking about 
in a lot of these cases with these sort of common errors that you're expanding on with Robusta, I would say that each one of these, you're probably saving someone 10 to 30 minutes at least of just, do they even have cluster access? Now they got to go find someone who has cluster access because sometimes it's the developer seeing these alerts in Slack and they don't always have cube control access. They might have to go to a different console. So you end up with three or four windows open. And in some cases, maybe this doesn't give you the exact answer, but I don't know that dump log from the application crashing. If I'm the one writing that app, I might be very familiar with that. And it might result in me never have to actually go to the cluster. And I can just say, oh, here's the, that's an error. Okay, I know what that is. That's my application. Let me go back and change, change my application and push a new image or something like that. And even if that just happens once a month, it feels like something that I want, <laughs> something that I would like to have in my I just want it to be tool. pleasurable, right? Like I want it to be pleasurable. Like you got this, something crashed in your application. You're a DevOps or an SRE who's monitoring this, right? There's this crash here. This isn't my issue. This is a development issue in this specific case anyway. Now, yeah, I can't tell you why your application crashed, but the developer can as soon as he sees this. And the developer might not have access to the cluster like you said, or he has to go and jump through loops. And if the end result is that we save 30 minutes, you know, okay, it's nice and saved you a little bit of time. But sometimes the end result is that now the developer actually looks at it, whereas otherwise he wouldn't have actually looked at it. Or he would have said, okay, open the task in Jira, and I'll look at it next month or next sprint. Someone should go and prioritize that. So just the ability to get that in here and then to go and tag someone and say, okay, like here's the right context, go and look at this is really important. And of course, sometimes these logs are sensitive, so you can filter the logs with regexes and their various security features, but to try and get you the right context there. Yeah, real quick. So if we're, when we're talking about the open source repo, that's Robusta Dev, Robusta on GitHub. I'm assuming that the strategy here is that this is installed inside of your monitoring cluster, wherever you would run your monitoring tools. This is installed on the actual cluster itself. And we install this on the actual cluster itself so that when we can pull in data like the logs, or graphs or other information. Oh, right. Okay, got it. And I should add on, there are certain types of things that are sometimes annoying to track with Prometheus. Prometheus is excellent, but let's say you want to track like the failure of a Kubernetes job, then Prometheus is a time series database. You're looking at stuff in the aggregate. So then to track a failing job in Prometheus, you would track a metric, like the number of failed jobs is greater than X. And then you need to de-aggregate that data now and look at an individual job that failed. Or if you're looking at pods that had kills. They got out of memory killed, then similarly, there can be some challenges around that. You're looking at in the aggregate, the number of kills on a node, and then you have to correlate that with the pod. So there are some challenges around there. In addition to Prometheus monitoring, we also define some complementary monitoring based on this thing to the API server. There's a project called KubeWatch that's fairly popular that we're the official maintainers of. So we give you complementary stuff as well, but from the end user's perspective, it doesn't matter. Like you can configure it just with Prometheus. You can add on some complementary stuff. We try and just make it all work out with the box. Hey there, podcast listener. At this point in the live show, which this podcast comes from, we do a pretty detailed demo getting into a lot of the features, and it didn't necessarily make sense to put this in an audio-only podcast. So if you're interested more in the tool and how it functions, check out a link in the show note that will take you to the YouTube live that this comes from, and then you can get the full demo there. We're now going to jump back into the conversation after we're done with most of that demo. An interesting question that maybe is 
a little bit more on the basic side of Prometheus and Grafana setup, how to use Prometheus to monitor the performance and stability of microservices in a containerized environment. I'm going to throw in my two cents here. So if you're someone who's new to Prometheus and you know it's a monitoring system and you're, you've installed it through an operator or any hum chart or any of the ways that you might install Prometheus and then you're adding Grafana on top of that, you may not know that Grafana has essentially like a dashboard marketplace that you can go. And if you don't have your own templates for all the different graphs and the different metrics that you want to collect, this might be a good place to start. There's stuff in here right up front for how to monitor Kubernetes. There's other stuff in here that you can search for Prometheus and find other dashboards for that. There's even blog articles if you just quickly Google around for Kubernetes or Prometheus templates, you can find articles that show recommended dashboards, maybe like that. And don't think of microservices as something special to monitor. Like whether you have, you know, large monoliths or microservices, from a monitoring perspective, at least in my point of view, it's not really that different. It's just a question of how many containers you're monitoring. And Prometheus and Grafana are meant to handle thousands and thousands of those containers. So I wouldn't focus too much on the microservice part. I would say that if you're the developer, if you're making the microservices, you want to learn about observability and the stuff that's going on in Kubernetes where you can start putting your own monitoring events or basically metrics inside your app. That's what you want to be doing. We talked about this actually on the show about the evolution of how we all used to just put logging messages in, right? Like 20 years ago, 10 years ago, when we didn't really have a good solid foundation in the open telemetry stuff, we would just dump everything to a log. And then we'd have to learn about parsing logs. We'd have to make metrics essentially out of our logs. And that's a little bit old school. We're all trying to move beyond the insane logging conundrum of all these terabytes of logs that I have to collect and analyze, and then move more to your app is spitting out metrics that something like Prometheus can collect, and you skip some of the logging effort, and you reduce your logging while improving your metrics. Anyway, total it's a totally different conversation. I don't know if you have anything to add there, but I just thought I'd help them out. I agree with everything you said, and I think Kubernetes makes the problem worse because like back in the old day, I remember you used to have like your pet server and like each of the servers had a name, right? And these servers, let's even looked at the logs. Like I, there was a time when I once worked on something and I would come in in the morning and I would just look over the logs from the last night to see that everything is working fine. Mm-hmm. I don't have a chance with Kubernetes. Like I don't, I, I have so many pods spinning up and down in like any yeah. real environment I've ever seen and stuff is so dynamic. I can't do that anymore. Like even if I want to take the inferior approach, I would just drown in too much noise. Yeah. So you kind of have to look at it. And then the two tips I like give people is focus on trying to reduce as many false positives as you can. Then alert manager has a good silencing mechanism. So like that's a UN, you took good default alerts and you redefine your own alerts. And sometimes something is noisy. Go and silence it. Like people have this fear. I don't want to silence something that might be a real issue. But the if you're too cautious there. And there's something that you know isn't like a critical issue and you just let it keep on firing every six hours, then you're going to end up ignoring the channel and then you're going to miss the thing that's really important. So you can go if there's an issue that you know isn't important right now, but it's something that you don't want to forget about. Silence it for like three days. It'll come up again in three days and you can then go and fix it. Of course, if it's an issue that's critical and will cause damages to you in three days and deal with it right now, but try and get as fast as you can to that understanding of whether it can, whether it's something that's urgent, whether the alert needs to be fixed, whether the microservice needs to be fixed, or whether it's a potential issue that will cause trouble down the road, but it's not something that's going to cause an outage in the next 30 days. 
So that's the first tip to consider using silences, which are a feature built into their manager fairly aggressively to cut down on the noise. And then the second tip is to kind of monitor outcomes. And there's a switch here that's happened also in the industry to monitor SLOs and SLIs, service level objectives, and not just to monitor the infrastructure. So if I take an example of this in Kubernetes, in Kubernetes, it's okay if a pod crashed. It's not okay if my service isn't responding. Like a pod can crash and come back up. I want to know about the crash. I want to be aware of it. I don't necessarily want to get up, woken up in the middle of the night if a pod just crashed. Now, if it's in the crash to back off already, then maybe I already want to be aware of that. Yeah. The gist here, I think, is that when you're starting out with this stuff, alert fatigue, like we mentioned, I think I opened up this conversation with the alert fatigue. That's the term that I have for it. It's a, maybe not the standard term in the industry, but I think alert fatigue is real. And the reality is that every one of us, whether you have a full-time job doing this, monitoring stuff, or if it's just one of a thousand things you have to do, it's going to come in and show up at some point. And the most critical thing there, I think, that you don't want to do is allow the alerts to be ignored because you're fatigued by just too many of them and you don't have time for them or you know, oh, those aren't that important. You want to figure out a way to have those logged and tracked, but if they're not something you're going to act on right away, they're maybe not a problem and you either need to lower the severity or, or do something to prevent those essentially from showing up because what you want ideally is the utopia here and it's a moving target at all times is to have this where we're looking at Slack. We're looking at Robusta alerts in Slack. And ideally what you wanna see there are the things that you have to get, you, if you saw it in the middle of the night, you would have to be called into work, right? You would have to actually go work on it. You can maybe have other channels or other places you put alerts, but the ones that you're putting alerts into Slack, you're having it sent into PagerDuty or wherever you're wanting to get your alerts from, those are the ones that you need to react to right away. Everything else, if it can wait, it, you need to figure out a way to remove that so that you're not staring at a hundred, you know, a hundred emails every day about stuff that you don't care about. Cause that's when you get the fatigue and that's when you'll ignore it, which then what good is the system at all? If you're not even looking at it, like it just becomes a, a cost center at that point, if you're not actually using it, it's a great discussion. And I think there's no perfect setup because it's very dependent upon your clusters, your type of cluster, how many what your infrastructure looks like, what your comp company team looks like, and you know how many apps you have and what those apps look like. I think it's very, it's one of those things where you have to tune it, right? There's no magic yeah. button that says, take away all my the alerts that don't matter. <laughs> so if I, if I may, yeah. then I come from the cybersecurity world. Okay. And I used to work at a company that like did the whole top-down sales to CISOs and stuff. And like you'll sell names $700,000 a year packages to someone just so that when they get in there, then it has some more actionable advice just to filter out the noise from the, from the signal. So that sort of stuff is really valuable. And I feel mm -hmm. that in the DevOps space, then we don't value it enough as much as people do in the security space. Because yeah. in security, you're so worried, okay, you miss one thing, you miss the signal, something really, really bad has happened. People right. are getting fired. Whereas in the DevOps world, you're not going to get fired, but it's death by a thousand cuts. So two specific robust features that really help with that. The first feature we already spoke about, so that's just the ability to silence here very quickly. If I have multiple clusters, I can silence on multiple clusters at the same time. I can add different matchers, decide the duration, and all of that is just alert manager silences under the hood. So just to make it easier to create an alert manager silence. And then the second feature that I want to talk about here, which also really helps 
with cutting down the noise ties into what you said about having different channels. It's something you can do also with Alert Manager without Robusta. So there are other ways you can do this. However you do it, whatever way you do it, you try and make it easy for you to say, okay, take this alert. And then when something is in a certain namespace, like the namespace app or the cube system namespace, then route it to a different Slack channel. For this send to Slack, this send to PagerDuty, send this to MS Teams, send this other message to me on my Telegram, right? We have different destinations you can send to. So everything here, we're speaking about Slack. Like whenever we speak about Slack, we're really like, it could be Datadog that's you're receiving the stuff in or PagerDuty or VictorOps or Discord or Jira, or right? it could be all these different destinations, right? Slack is just the, the one example that's most popular. But what you can do is you can split based on priority, based on the namespace something happens in, based on this different data, then send, if you do want to get messages for all those, you need to route them to different places based on the priority. Very nice. We had a question around, how does this posting to Slack? My understanding is this is a part of the Prometheus operator that sets up the alerting, I'm guessing it's a deployment, basically pods, is that right? That And so that's where you set up the alerts and how you're going to send them to Slack. It's not you didn't write something custom. There isn't some custom solution for alerting the Slack. Sort of. It's a mix. So normally, like when you're normally using um, the Alert Manager and Prometheus, then Prometheus sends an alert to Alert Manager, and then Alert Manager sends that to Slack. And what we want to do is we want to add on extra information, and we want to gather data so we attach the logs, we attach the output from kubectl get events, we attach different data or we pull in the Grafana dashboard that's relevant to the current alert. So we actually add on a proxy over here. And then when it gets sent to Slack, then it gets sent by our Slack integration in Robusta. But it's very similar to what you would experience with Prometheus out of the box. And then that also explains why like this looks a little bit different than what the alert manager integration looks like. It's being sent by different colleagues. So we're proxying the stuff there to Slack or MS Teams or Discord or other destinations. Right. I think that's what I was confusing earlier. I couldn't remember the name of Alert Manager. So for them, if they're new to Prometheus, Alert Manager is typically a part of your standard Prometheus setup. There's actually a bunch of containers that need to run for Prometheus. It's not just one GitHub repo with one pod that you're running. There's a lot of different layers to it, right? And you need a front end. You need something like Grafana. So Alert Manager is that typical thing. And it can talk to multiple places at the same time. We're just really talking about Slack. A lot of us are using Slack. So... This just brings up a question. Does Robusta have the same sort of flexibility in what it can send to Ops Genie, PagerDuty? Is it Slack focused? Yeah, so it's all of those. We actually have more native, well, not more, sorry, but we have different native integrations than you have in Alert Manager itself. So we support sending to MS Teams, for example, which Alert Manager doesn't support native. Um, Discord, I think Alert Manager doesn't support native, but don't quote me on that. We are still using Alert Manager. We're just adding on another proxy there. So the vast deck that sends it is our own layer. And there were a few questions about installing Robusta. And now you also touched on, okay, you have to install all of these different like components, Alert Manager and Prometheus. So maybe I can touch a little bit also on how to do that, like, yeah, sure. or how you would do that with Robusta. So what was important to us is we wanted to have an all-in-one package. We wanted to support two things. We wanted to support people already had Prometheus and Alert Manager and Grafana, and they were already using those stack. And then we wanted to give them an additional component that integrated well. It didn't require them to tear anything else out, just add on one webhook. So we do that. Then we also wanted to support people who are setting up a brand new environment, and they just want to get there as fast as they can. So they don't want to choose alerts. They don't want to deal with installing this, and then installing this, and then installing that. So we give those people an all-in-one package. And we're wrapping Q Prometheus stack and adding on extra stuff. So we're taking what's already the most popular way, 
and then we're including that in a bigger package. But we wanted to make it really easy to install everything all at once and just to make it to make it hard to set up improperly and easier right. to set it up properly really fast. So I think there are two questions now about using Robusta with an application without Kubernetes. Not today, one day very possibly, but there was a question earlier also about whether this is for Prometheus or if it's Kubernetes specific. And the answer is this is definitely Kubernetes specific. Right. Yeah, that's an actually interesting question. I, I, I realized I was thinking, well, this sounds like it's Prometheus specific, but maybe not Kubernetes specific, but you're making sense now that, that these rules are based on Kubernetes standard alerts and also gathering the data through the Kubernetes API, right? So you're talking back to the Kubernetes API to pull logs and stuff like that, as well as Prometheus graphs. So even if you, even though you can install Prometheus on any Linux server or on a swarm cluster, a Docker engine machine, and maybe you can get that to work, but I guess you're saying currently Robusta doesn't add value there because it would have to know about those alerts and have intelligence around those alerts, I guess. If you don't use Kubernetes, do not use Robusta. Okay. <laughs> there you go. Very clear. Don't so do you nah, wrong tool, right tool, yeah. wrong job. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great distinction too, because you can use Kubernetes without Prometheus. You could use Prometheus without Kubernetes, but Robusta is designed to use both. Is there a model here? So the title of this show is multi-cluster Prometheus monitoring. Does this design change at all? Or how would you support where I maybe have a monitoring cluster and then a bunch of individual clusters, which I, that's where I see more often as people grow, right? They're ending up with a hybrid scenario where they've got a cluster in the cloud, they've got a cluster in their data center, but they really only want one centralized monitoring tool and they end up running it on its own cluster. What does that look like? Okay, yeah. So I'll start off by saying like, this is kind of a general statement about philosophy. You're not gonna change your habits. I'm not gonna ask you to change your habits because you won't listen to me even if I do. So. Yeah. Like when we design stuff, then like we'll think, okay, who are we designing this for? Okay, for people who use Kubernetes. So like that's the target audience. If you're not on Kubernetes, like I said, it's not relevant for you. But then for people within that target audience, we're going to have to support however you work, right? Because otherwise you're not going to change your habits. You're not going to change stuff because of us. So we have to meet you wherever you are. So then what we see in terms of how people work, we see two primary models and we have to support both of that. And the first primary model is what you said, where you have a centralized monitoring cluster. So you have either a federated Prometheus that was mentioned earlier, or you have one central Prometheus that's somehow scraping different clusters. And there are also solutions here like Thanos and, Thanos and Cortex and like various to scale Prometheus beyond. From our perspective, if it's speaking the Prometheus API, like we don't care if it's Thanos or whatever, as long as it's Prometheus-like. And in this case, then you have one centralized Prometheus and the pain points there are a little bit easier because you have a centralized Prometheus, so we have to know how to like pull data from the different clusters, and we can do that and kind of route the other back to the cluster, pull on the data, and then you forward it. There are different models there that we support. And then the other method, though, is where it's like really painful today without the extra tooling, is if you have a Prometheus and like Grafana, you know, their manager running in each of those different clusters. So imagine someone who has like a multi-cluster environment. They have 100 clusters, and each of those has their own Prometheus. And that's something that's more common, I think, than people realize, because you almost get that way just naturally when you scale stuff. And then you realize, oh, no, now I need to move on to the centralized Thanos or whatever. And then you start a project to do that. Those projects take time. So in those cases, today, a lot of people are kind of stuck because you want to, on the one hand, get that single pane of glass. And on the other hand, you really want to pull the data from these disparate sources. So one cool thing that we do with the SaaS platform, and up until now, everything I've spoken about is open source. So now I'm 
very explicitly like shifting and talking also about the SaaS platform, which is not open source, but has a heavy free tier. So what you can do with the SaaS platform is I can go in and I can see here's the crashing pod. And this crashing pod is present on two different clusters. And I can go and have a full history of all the different alerts that occurred, regardless of what cluster they appeared on. And I can go in and I can investigate something and I can see the dogs again for something that crashed. You know, and I can search through the dogs and I can drill down. And I can look at the specific pods there. And of course, if you add like a thousand alerts, but they were all the same type, then we can group that. And I can go and I can drill down and say, okay, just show me the data from a specific cluster. Oh, all the issues are in that cluster. Show me the data over the last two weeks. Show me a timeline of everything that happened all over the place, right? And we're giving this single pane of glass. And even if you have like 100 different Prometheuses, 100 different Grafanas, you can still pull in all the data and show you the right data here in one single pane of glass and give you that centralized view, even if the data itself is living in different places. Very nice. While we're talking about the SaaS product, do you want to, is there anything else that sort of we get out of the box with choosing that route over the open source? Uh, yes. In the real world, I don't necessarily know that someone else changed something right before this crash because they made their changes. They're not aware it caused an issue. And then I'm going to be getting alerts now and there's some issue that's going on. So this is an interesting case where on the one hand, I don't want to notify you necessarily that something changed because then you get a lot of spammy alerts all the time. Right. And set up that type of notification with Robusta, but we don't recommend you do it. But on the other hand, I do want the ability when I'm looking at an error and I'm investigating, I do want the ability to understand that something happened. So I can zoom in and I can see exactly what changed in my cluster at that specific moment in time. And now when I'm investigating an incident, I have the full picture for what happened beforehand and what change might have occurred that now is causing that error. Nice. Yeah. The timeline view is it's trending. <laughs> yeah. It's trending in the world of Kubernetes because I think that, you know, change rates are only getting faster and change itself, like you're saying, change itself is not an event. Ideally, every developer doesn't have cube control access to the cluster. In fact, my goal with every team I always work with is we implement GitOps and you've we talked about this earlier, but a, a GitOps approach where no one needs cube control and it's almost like a break glass scenario where we need cube control on a cl cluster that work. <laughs> it's only in worst case and that ideally we have things like this. We have centralized monitoring, logging, and timeline views to see change rates. And we're tracking our Git repos so that we know when things are planned changes versus unplanned changes. And that, I mean, if that's, that's a lot of work, right? People have to put in a, a significant amount of effort to get to that utopia. And everyone's first day in Kubernetes and Prometheus, like, you know, it's all cube control commands, right? We've all got root admin to the cluster. We're all doing that kind of stuff. But just so you know, we're not showing you the ideal scenario of how you control your cluster. And obviously, like, I can probably count the number of times I've ever cube control edited in production on one hand, right? But it's a great handy tool to edit something in real time. It is great. I love any tool that shows me real time change in events in a way that I can, I don't have to study logs or read all the emails in my inbox. Those are such horrible ways, right? So the fact that you have this in there, I think is a nice value add. What else? Just to reiterate, you like you shouldn't go <laughs> and edit this over here, right? Like you should use GitOps. You right. should do all of that. But if someone in your company did it, then like we're actually looking at an API server. So we're looking at every single change that happens. We're filtering out secrets like for security reasons, so not watching those. But we're looking at interesting changes that happen in your cluster. And if someone did do something, then you can easily see that correlation. And then if you look at like how you take away the kubectl access, or just you can add someone here. I can add someone else to this account. I can put them on here. 
and now they don't need the cube color access. Mm. And then if you look yep. at GitOps, like the ability to break the pane of glass, then one thing that we can let you do is we can even let you do automatic remediation. An example where you like reach the maximum number of replicas and you just want to temporarily, like as a kind of break glass workaround in the middle of the night, say, okay, like update the number of replicas by 20%. So I can hit this button from Slack and this is a pre-approved workflow that's sitting in the Git repository that says like, okay, well, you're allowed to break the glass in this specific way. And that's approved by the whole team and sitting in Git repo. Now you can push that button from Slack and break the glass. And then of course you have a record of what you broke. And then of course in the morning, then you're going to have to go and you're going to have to fix that and do it with GitOps and do it properly. But even if you are going to break the glass, break the glass in a controlled manner using what people are predefined in advance you're allowed to break the glass with. I love it. Anything that can allow me to share the responsibility with others on my on-call time, right? If I'm the only one that knows cube control and that's the only way to troubleshoot a cluster, chances are I'm the only one that's going to get called, right? But if you can start putting actions in, you know, sort of some common reactions into a, a single button, I mean, it doesn't get much easier than that. Other than AI remediation approaches, which I'm sure is going to be a theme of this year. Actually, I was writing down my goals for this year and it was like, we're going to have to have more AI conversations on the show and then also have the debate on every one of them about what is AI and what is it? Like how many, how much machine learning and do I have to have before it's considered AI? But we're all driving to this world where we, if we're comfortable clicking the button ourselves, what if it waits five minutes and no one's clicked it so it automatically runs and then... We just reports back, hey, I changed the cluster for you. <laughs> we have a secret coming maybe soon regarding chat GPT, but it's more of a gimmick just for fun. Right. And we this thing, listening to advice from that. So like what you can do is you can go and remember, we have this values file and this like defines the responses for everything, both the responses and like the data that we're pulling in. So one such thing that we have that you can configure is we actually have a button that you can get where on every other, we attach a button that says search stack overflow. And then you click that button and then you get back in your stack, like a list of the top results from stack overflow for that alert. Yeah. It was just a joke that we wrote once to kind of show how you can extend robust stack. But it kind of shows the ability though, to pull in the right data and even to take these like break glass actions and pull in extra data or see the data you need and then to go and remediate stuff. Can one send push notifications to the smart device like Android and iPhone? Do you mean, is there an alert manager app? Because I would actually perceive that as something like a PagerDuty, an Ops Genie, a Slack. Like those are the things you already have notifying. And for me, if I've got a team in Slack, and maybe this is old school, but if I've got a team in Slack and we've got a specific alert channel and that's designed to not show me all the stuff, but only the really, really important alerts, then I'm setting that up to notify me always in the Slack notifications so that I do get those notifications. I don't know if you have other general recommendations for people on that, but. Yeah, so what you can do is we have an integration with Telegram. So you could send stuff directly to Telegram. And then we have an integration as well, a webhook integration. I think there's a tool called Nifty. And if you use Nifty, then NFTY, then use that with the webhook. And I think we have a demo and an example in the docs showing how you can also get stuff with the nifty push notification service. And then of course you can send it as well to all the other destinations. So you can send to Slack, MS Teams and Discord and all the usual apps you might be running on your phone anyway. I think right. we see some of people want like just a pure open source solution. So then they can do webhook to nifty, I think. And then that's oh, okay. all software. So nifty is the app. Sorry. I don't know nifty. Um, so the joy and the pain of like 
in the early stage startup is at first you write all the code and then you have no idea at some point what's even in the code anymore. Like as your team grows and other people add stuff, which is a wonderful thing that happens. But like I actually, they don't even know. Okay, so, yeah, so Nifty yeah. is push notifications and someone else on the team added that, which is cool. Yeah, so I'm guessing it has like an Apple App Store app for Nifty and then you could just send stuff directly to that. So they have, yeah, Android or iOS. And then, yeah, you can get it. And then I think it's yeah. also on GitHub. So it is open source. Yeah, that makes sense. So if you didn't want to alert through your other existing systems like chat systems or whatever, you could do this. And that's nice. I'll have to write that down. Nifty. All right. This is kind of awesome. And people can get started on your docs. I think you've mentioned that several times, right? Yeah. You could just go to the docs. We have an installation page on there. There's a command line tool that you run that generates the Helm values, but you can also do the Helm values yourself. If you don't want to run our command line, you can just like take the Helm values yourself. And then you just do a standard Helm install, Helm add repo, Helm install, get the name of your cluster and you're done. And all of this, just to clarify also, all of this is open source. I would recommend that people who sign up also sign up for the SaaS platform because we have such an expansive free tier. And we do have no on-prem version of this available as part of our enterprise plans. So I would recommend that people sign up for this as well. But if you just want an open source solution, then you can, everything we've been describing with Slack and Nifty and all that, that's pure open source. Nice. Yeah, I think that's a great selling point is that even if you want to just do the open source, you can check out the uh, the paid option through the free tier. And I tend to do that, especially with my own dev clusters or sample clusters that I have at the house. I have a you know the closet, the typical closet data center, <laughs> like a lot of us. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. I feel like we covered a lot of ground. There's one last thing. So somehow... You're known for ranting about CPU limits. And I want to talk about this for a minute because on this show, people often ask about pod specs and when we get into security and best practices and all that, I have a pod spec that I share with people. And under here, I have this not normally needed unless you need to protect other workloads or quality of service to be guaranteed. I should probably put some links to things because I asked this on Twitter I don't think I pulled you into that conversation, but there we had a conversation on Twitter where I was like, what do people think? Should this be in the default pod spec or not? People, most I did have some, but most people said, no, leave it out. So what's your take? I want to open up a PR and remove the unless you need to protect other workloads. <laughs> you could actually protect other workloads without the CPU limit. Okay. Um, I want to, I'll give two things. One, my opinion, and then two, how I got, actually got into this and why I'm now like the CPU limit guy. But... There's this, it all starts with this big misconception. And it's just because there's the word limit in the name. And limit is really misleading. In Kubernetes, there are two types of limits for CPU. There's hard limits and soft limits. And a hard limit means, let's say you have a hard CPU limit of two CPU, and you're running and you need four CPU. And you're on a cluster with like, I don't know, 16 CPUs on that node. And you need four CPU, but your hard limit is two CPU. And no one else in the world is using the CPU. Can you get it or not? So with a hard limit of two, no, you cannot get four CPU. It doesn't matter if no one else in the world is using the CPU. You requested your hard limit is two. You will never be able to get four, even if there are like four CPUs available. That's a hard limit. And in Kubernetes, that's just called a limit. And then there's a soft limit in Kubernetes. And the soft limit says, let's say I have a soft limit of two. And now I'm running on a node and has those 16 CPUs and I need four and no one else is using them. Can I get those extra two CPUs? And with a soft limit, 
then yes, you can get the extra two CPUs because it's a soft limit and no one else needs it. And a moment later, someone else comes along and he needs those CPUs. And you're now violating, like now it's above your soft limit and someone else needs those CPUs in order to function. So with a soft limit, now those CPUs are taken away from you and they go back to the other workflow that needs it because you're above. And the big misconception is people think that there are no soft limits in Kubernetes. Actually, a soft limit in Kubernetes is just called a CPU request. I like it. I like it. I never thought of it as, as soft limits. So that's, that's something I'm learning today. People think requests are just used for scheduling. But if you just used a request for scheduling, it wouldn't have any meaning. You use a request for scheduling, you say, I need two, two CPU. You're put on a node that has at least two CPUs available. And those are actually reserved for you at runtime in case you need them. You're guaranteed at least those two CPU that you requested. Yeah, we were talking about this earlier. You have a whole blog article on this with a lot of detail. I think it's really great. It's got some nice visuals. I love that you have that in there. You got a video on it if you want to watch this stuff. And it is kind of important because I think that's one of the reasons I created this pod spec is there are a lot of things in a, everything you're doing in Kubernetes eventually leads to pods. So the default pod, all the def examples on the internet and including the docs are always very focused on a particular part of the example, but they don't really go big picture. And that's where I started creating this last year was I was like, well, I have stuff that I do for all of my clients and in my own stuff, but I've never really documented it as a way to keep it in a, a central place. And, you know, if you have more color, I would always love, I would love PRs. PRs are great. But a lot of this has to do with, you know, adding on the security, adding on the probes, like the things that people only think of later once they have problems. So that was the intention here. But the resource limits and requests actually got the most discussion on Twitter because people have lots of not just diverse opinions but we have lots of experience and scars from things that we do wrong and it can I mean probes can cause <laughs> probes can have bad effects especially if you're too aggressive i see a lot of people that probe too often and it's not meant to be that level of a like you know one second of downtime like that's not a thing you're trying to avoid with probes so I encourage those of you to if you're not familiar with a lot of these concepts in the pod spec then at least check this out. I'm not saying it's the authority on the matter, but it does come from a background in consulting and doing things all the wrong way. And Hell no, it looks, pretty good. Yeah. it looks pretty good to me. I think I'm going to start sending this around as a resource. And I love how you have comments next to the things as well. Um, explaining why each of those is also important. Yeah, and a lot of this is, it's mostly my view, but a lot of it is also opinions I've learned through the consulting process of like helping other people and them saying, well, this doesn't really fit our model and this is why. And so I would always love to get more feedback and opinions on it because some of this stuff, by the way, is in flux, right? We're uh, hopefully sometime soon, we will maybe have set comp on by default in most distributions so that we won't have to manually enable it. Some of the run as user stuff is I think necessary, but maybe there's a brighter future with some of the new defaults out there that Wolfie and some of the other ideas around how we make container images. And I don't know, there's, there's definitely a lot more that I think that we could add, but I want to keep it approachable because also at the end of the day, like any esoteric stuff we're implementing is just going to get lost on people. And if they have to stare at 200 lines of pod spec, they're, they're probably going to run away. So it did limit it a little bit to this, the major stuff there. No, it looks excellent. It's like, oh, we think about this a lot also like in context of other, it's how do you like share what should be the defaults or what should be common knowledge? I think Warren Buffett once said it best. He said, Everyone says that you should learn from experience, but I say learning from experience is overrated. The real trick is to learn from other people's experience. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I like that. 
He's always got some good quotes. And I totally agree with that. Yeah. If you can learn from others, which is essentially what we're doing here, right? This isn't your first rodeo. And that's why you realized that this was a problem and you came up with a good solution for it. So I'm very appreciative for you being on the show today. Again, you can check this out on their docs and their GitHub repo. All the links are below. We 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 put those in there beforehand. So if you just want to skip all of this and get right to it, you could just you could just leave now. But thanks for so much for being on the show. And we will hopefully meet again in the future at KubeCon or something. You're on Twitter, so you can reach out for any questions specifically with Natan and the team there. Now, obviously, you have the Robusta dev on Twitter as well. And I don't know, where else is your community hang out at that people can find Slack. you? We have a Slack community as well. And you can also send me a message on LinkedIn. If you're on LinkedIn, then I'm fairly active over there. And you can always private message me. And I guess one of the challenges things with open source software is you're putting a lot of stuff out there. I think you're just hoping people give you feedback yeah. in your turn. It's things they just use it or it doesn't work and they don't tell you about it. So we like to hear about problems. Like if you come to me and you tell me a problem, I guarantee you another 50 people have had that problem first and you report it. So we love to hear about problems, like come report the bug and like, we're forever grateful to you. Yeah, for sure. It's, that's a challenge of open source too, is we, the popularity of our tool, people are usually silent when it does work. So when things are going great, you might have a million users and you may not be sure who those people are, whether they're happy with the product. So please, those of you out there, I mean, with any open source you're using, even some, every once in a while, someone that comes along that's so nice and shows up in one of my repos and just makes a thank you issue. And just all they do is thank me in the issue and then other people tag onto it. And that makes my week when that happens. So those of you out there, if you're going to use this, reach out to them and the team there that, that you're using it, even if you don't have feedback for improvement. So thanks again. I've learned some stuff today and I'm grateful for it. Ciao, everyone. Thanks so much for listening. And I'll see you in the next episode.